It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots to come over the next couple of hours. As usual, we hear about it. Lovely story. We have a lovely story about a horse rescue for you. We're touching on dyslexia, child dyslexia. Uh, we have Paralympian Eve McChrystal with us. Yes, she's heading for Tokyo. And we want to hear from you, of course, on the show. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me if you'd have something to say or want to comment through the afternoon. 1850 if you'd like to call in. And I have a booming Westlife ballad for you. And more about the lads they're my artists of the week, of course. Now, we've spoken with my first guest today on numerous occasions in the past in the context of our role in founding, establishing and very successfully running the Irish Fairy Door Company. And while she did talk to me about our struggles, the enormity of what she's come through really became apparent to me as I read a feature on Neve Sherwin Barry and her husband, Oshin in the Sunday Independent. So I gave her a tinkle and said, have to chat to you again. Neve. good afternoon. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Great. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. I mean this. I know you touched on this with me in the past, but my God, when I sat down Sunday morning and read it quietly myself, holy God almighty, you're fantastic people, I have to say. Let's go back to, uh, what, 2005 you bought this house in Monaster Boys, the house of your dreams? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, we were living in Milman Abbey and happy as Larry, but... The money at the time, Jerry, was was plentiful. I'm not going to lie. And we said, right, we'll we'll you know, we're going to start family. So we'll get a bigger house. And up we went to the posh side, up to Monaster Voice. Um, a really, really beautiful house. Yeah, it was on an acre. It was it was a large house, the big gates, the works. How much did you pay for? Oh, at the time, five sixty. So it was a, a big price, but uh, things were flying. It was Celtic Tiger years. You were in the in the ballpark to afford this house and away you go. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and do you know what, Jerry? It wasn't even that we could afford it, like barely. We could afford it three times over. That's oh. the type of money yes. that was coming into our household. Um, it was, Ushin was in, in mortgages um, in town and he, you know, he was doing well and there was obviously a lot of lending going on. So, um, yeah, we, we, we had lots of holidays, we had nice cars. We were, as I always say, if there was a poster for the Celtic Tiger, myself and Ushin would have been on it. <laughs> Well, well, there were many like you, I have to say as well. But unfortunately, 2007, 2008, the arse fell out of things, as you know, in this country. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Oshin and that game. He was in the mortgage game, was flying along. He was just mm-hmm. high and dry, wasn't he, at that stage? Yeah, I mean, it was it was like it was it was it wasn't even a, a kind of a gradual fall. It was instant. The bank guarantee happened, obviously, mid 2008. And I remember the phone call very well. Um Ushin just rang and said all of his mortgages that, that were about to close, that were in the pipeline, all of them had been pulled, every single one of them. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, you know, it's it, God, that's awful. But, you know, we have a few quid savings. We're going to be OK. Um, and it won't last forever. But, you know, it lasted eight years. And you talk about mortgages and your husband working in the business. You then couldn't afford yours. So, you know yourself when you're loaned money, the day is great. The day you can't make the repayments, well, the scenario changes and you were then in a battle and that battle would go on for a number of years. Yeah, it was, it was um, little did we know at that point how long it would go on, but I, I, I do always describe it as, as 
being on the train tracks and having absolutely no way of getting off them. Like we knew the train was going to hit, it was our house was going to be taken. Um, there was absolutely no way of avoiding it. I mean, we, we very much we engaged with the banks all the way along, but, you know, it changed hands a few times. And um, so we were like vulture fund after vulture fund. So we'd have to reestablish, you know, all of what was happening and how much we could pay. And, um, you know, to be fair, and massive kudos to Ushin, um, he never kind of put his head in the sand. He was like, look, this is what we can do. Um, but it was by far worse. The waiting for the house to be repossessed was far worse than when it actually happened, if that makes sense, purely because, it, I mean, I, I ended up detesting the house, you know. I remember so, and my kids were only really small at the time, I remember just driving into the driveway going, I just, every brick of it, I just detest it. You know, it was like a prison. If that's, it, it's, it, it's, it was seriously traumatic time. There's no doubt. Mm, and, uh, you know, from love and joy to be, you know, turned right round to have those feelings. It just sums up where you were at that point in time. You did try to offer, didn't you, the Fairy Door Company, which was beginning to take off as you sort of said to the lenders, look, we're, we're going to be OK, but they weren't having any of it. You know, uh, like it's funny because, you know, it, it, Fairy Doors had, had started in 2014, uh, sorry, 2013. So this was, you know, we, we actually eventually got repossessed in 2014. But yeah. I remember even at the time, people talking to people in, in, in the Vulture Funds and building a relationship with them. And in fairness, Ocean did that really well. And, you know, I remember speaking to someone going and her daughter had a Fairy Door. She's like, oh, my God, you guys are the Fairy Door people. Um, but it was too late, Jerry. It was too late. Um you know, we, we at that point, we were oh, like, you know, a good five or six years in arrears um, and it was it was just too late. So you give back the keys, you say, here you go. After the good fight and the long fight that went on all those years, you hand the keys back. Tell me about mm. that day you mentioned when you drove into the driveway and you detested every brick. You definitely remember that yellow notice on the door. I certainly do. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect it, I think, really. Um, you know, the way when you see in American movies, there's like an eviction notice on the door. I didn't actually know that that happened here. You know, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I dropped the kids off to school um, and I came back and um, I just saw this massive this sign on the door saying this house has been repossessed and you haven't did until this time to vacate. Um, now, in fairness, they did give us a good while. They gave us four or five months to vacate. But I, like as soon as, as the deal was done, as soon as we had decided, um, I wanted out. But that was, that was um, oh, I don't even remember that day. I remember seeing it. And I remember, I don't know what I did, but I remember I, I must have left because I came back a while later and it was gone. And I think my parents had come up and taken it down because it was just... It, it, it wasn't that I was embarrassed, Jerry, because everyone that knew us and loved us knew what was happening. It was just the coldness of it, mm. like the absolute, like vast. It was just it was mind blowing. It was just like this has actually happened. You know, this has actually happened. And to see, I suppose, the finality of it was um was hard. It was mm. it was beyond hard now. Really God, I, you describe it so rawly you know what I mean it was raw mm. really raw and, and it came home as you say the chickens came home that day for sure the other thing was you were now homeless and you had dogs to think about never mind like your children and where are we going to go <laughs> but the dogs and, and you mentioned this that the rehoming was really really stressful yeah, um, the re the rehoming. Uh, we loved our dogs, um, and that had happened a couple of months before, and um, we were eventually repossessed. What had happened was, I my husband had said to me, "Need we need to get them rehomed," and I was having none of it. I just couldn't accept it. And um, I went. I ended up doing shopping one day. Uh, I was then little, or one of them. I can't remember which one it was. And the shopping had gone through, and my I gave my card over, and it didn't work. And I I rang Ushin and I said, Ushin, there's no money in the account for food," and he said. I know there isn't because we've just had to one of our dogs as a Samoyed and she had a very very um, sensitive digestive system and she had to keep going into the vet and she said the 900 euro for summer who was who was the Samoyed has just come out so we've no money for food do you understand now that they need to be rehomed and it was at that point obviously that I had to, le- I had to leave the shop 
with nothing going oh my god oh my god so Drada Animal Rescue were fantastic as you can imagine and we wanted them home home together because they grew up together Um, but yeah that was probably (laughs) along with being the the, the repossession notice that was probably just as hard just letting them go you know Mm -hmm. and Really, really tough now. Really, really tough. Um, but we, we did get them a, a lovely home yes. in Cornwall, actually. So it wasn't so bad. Ah, good, 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 good uh, for them. And, you know, think about that. I'm just thinking about that. To stand in a shop with food that you need for the table. And mm-hmm. you, you can't pay for it. You have to walk out. No. That's, I, know she, I know she knew I was going to do the shopping, but he said, Neve, I had to make you see how how that like the the money was either it was either them or us and it was without sounding dramatic jerry it was that stark you know where really was um you know it was it was and our parents were amazing and and only for them i mean there wouldn't have been food in the fridge at any stage um but you know i suppose when 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 you say the word homeless you know even the word homeless actually is really triggering for me because you know, we were thankfully never homeless because we'd always would have had somewhere to go with my parents or Ocean's parents mm. or Ocean's mum. Um, but, you know, a lot of people aren't in that position. And um, we were in the position at that stage to go and find a rental um, property purely because, as I said, fairy doors had happened and we were starting to earn a bit of money. Um, and we found a beautiful rental home in in Tully Allen, here in Tully Allen, and had the most gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous landlord, Ken um, O'Hagan. I have to give him a mention because he's just a saint. He made us feel like it was ours. He just, he, it was just, a, it was a fantastic find. And I think a little bit of fate um, that we got a bit of luck for sure. By God, you were due luck, that's for sure. So you get your home and you're now able to pay the rent. Uh, you've given back the keys. Do, do you think, you know, when you're in that situation, did your thoughts ter- uh, turn to, you know, ever owning a home again at that stage? Do you know, my only thought every day, Jerry, before I went to sleep was, hopefully we won't get the phone call tomorrow that we'd have to move out in a month. Like, that's the way I lived for the best part of seven years because realistically there was no in my mind anyway we we're going to be on the credit bureau for at least five years and um, you know we'd done our best to clear whatever debt we could um but no in answer to your question was it ever in my uh, it was a dream it was a dream i never thought it would happen ever but listen dreams do come true and that's why i want to bring the the the, the uh, bright side of this story to the airwaves today you have in recent weeks got the keys of your new home. We have, we have. Um, it doesn't seem real, to be honest. What happened was um, we had decided to apply for mortgage. We were obviously just after coming off the the credit bureau, um, so we were cleared in 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 that sense. Like an alarm bell wouldn't go off if our name was was put into yes. a computer in a bank. Um, we applied for mortgage earlier this year, and um, not really thinking that it would happen because you know there's an awful lot of twists and turns in, in that mm. journey and um, we got the approval uh on St. Patrick's Day it was just um it was actually the evening before St. Patrick's Day and we all oh, the tears listen I can't even describe it it was just unreal but then like everything else you know as I said there's lots of twists and turns we weren't really banking on we're like okay let's start looking and um, we started looking and I remembered that across the green from us nine doors down there had been a couple that had um been uh, selling the house just before the pandemic hit and obviously when that happened they took it off um and um i just knocked on the door i just walked down knocked on the door and i said listen i know you were going to sell before any chance that you sell again so the deal was done uh literally within it was less than six weeks it was five weeks and four days we got the keys to our new house and I, I I call it the road to number 84. We're number 84 now. And um, I'm not going to lie, Jerry, it has not even sunk in yet. It really hasn't. And, and there's a huge amount of PTSD that has come up since that. Has this actually happened? Like, did all of that happen? Is it over now? You know, um, the absolute best feeling in the entire world is sitting here knowing that that phone call is not going to come. And, you know, like, and as well to give Ushin his, his dues, like he went and got a job and, and I probably forgot to say that bit. 
in order to get the mortgage, we couldn't be self-employed. You know, both of us couldn't be yes. self-employed, no matter what Fairy Doors was doing. So Wushin made the decision. We both made the decision um, about a year and a half ago that he was going to go and get a job and be a PRSI worker, which he hadn't done ever in his career, really, um, uh, to, in order to get the in order to get the mortgage. So we did. And here we are. And it's just surreal. Surreal. Oh, Wonderful. It's a wonderful ending to a remarkable journey. I don't know how you didn't crack up along the way. Did you? Did that? Were you ever on the edge? You know. You, you know. You, you say you were waiting for the phone call, waiting for the repossession. You know, and months' notice from the house. How did you keep strong? Mm. How did you keep going? It it it, it was. I mean, like <laughs> therapy. <laughs> um, without without being without being. Um, yeah. To to kind of uh, do you know what it is, Jerry? It was it was you know, and it was the essential. It was essentially since we got married in two thousand and five, so you know it, it has been pretty much our whole mor- marriage. Do you know, um, the foundation is deep, thank God. And I think the real key, I suppose, for us um, was that first and foremost, our children were protected, and mm. um, they didn't even know. They didn't know even moving into this house. They were like, "Sorry, so we were only renting over there." It was we totally protected them from it because that was really important. Yes. Um, but also, I think when me and Ushin, we we all we both had bad days, but thankfully, it was rare that we both had the bad days or the yes. bad weeks together so one of us and I, I actually got a I got a um a print for this house and it's of two hands uh, just holding hands and yeah. um, because I always thought to myself and this will make me emotional now but I always thought to myself just don't let go like I'll hold on to you you hold on to me and we won't let go and oh, we didn't oh my oh my I want to leave it at that today and let you gather your thoughts and let the listeners absorb it all well, right, you're emotional, but you know what? You're a great one yourself and Oshin and everyone and the children and all. Well done to you and thank you for joining me to tell your wonderful story today, Neve. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Really God bless you. It. Best of luck to you both. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Neve Sherwin-Barry. What a story. Credit to Loud County Council. They emptied the bins in RD. We got a message from the listener who was on to us yesterday. So the bottle bank bins there were collected yesterday. So well done for that. On Blackrock Toilets, Louise, what's the latest? They're still working on it. As on a reply. On a reply. Okay, so we spoke to Mary yesterday. We had many people on to us about the state of the toilets in Blackrock Village and the response is that the uh, person we contacted in Loud County Council have sent the uh, information and query and complaints to the relevant department and they're waiting a response from within the council to pass on to us. From that department to pass on to us. Come on, Loud County Council, get cracking. Blackrock Toilets, we want action. We want to hear from you on uh, this one. On the swimming pool, I have a small update. (laughs) Sarah may have cracked it. She thinks she has anyway. She's come across an adapter in uh, Ikea, a pump adapter thing. It's only a, it's only a few euro, but she thinks this is the one. She She's not going to let one. it beat her, is she? She's not going <laughs> to let it beat her. And, and thank you for all the suggestions yesterday, but she, this, little, this pump in Ikea, I think it's only four euro, has the adapter she thinks that will pump this Lidl pool. Uh, she thinks she has it anyway. I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted. We need it done with the weather getting good for the yeah, weekend. Yeah, you for do. Sure. Oh, this is the time to have the little pool for the wee ones in the Turn garden. Turn into a water slide oh, if you can't pump listen, it up. Oh, listen. Well, I tell you, we got that water slide thing as well. It's lethal. Yeah. Have you tried it? If you put it on the flat, <laughs> yeah. it should go on a slope. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. So you've but fall if you down. put it on a slope and they walk in it, they go up in the air. They break the back. It's dangerous. If it's on the flat. If it's on the flat yeah. of the walking along it. Oh, that's going in the recycle. <laughs> <laughs> Unused. So it is. We used it once. I'm not impressed with that at all. Anyway, <laughs> that's the story on the pool. Coming up at late lunch after two o'clock, Paralympian Eve McChrystal from Dundalk with us on the show. We met my next guest uh, on numerous occasions in the run into big, big sporting events. And I'll just remind you uh, that she won a gold and silver medal at the Rio Paralympic Games, along with many other international titles. Because you see, Eve McChrystal is the pilot on the tandem. Herself and Katie George Dunleavy are one of the most successful pairs ever in the sport. And guess what? She told us after the last Olympics, well, she'd have to think long and hard about going again. But she is. They're getting ready for Tokyo and they're away training at the moment. But she's broken off the training to have a word with us. Eve McChrystal, welcome back to the show. 
Thank you, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for taking the call because I know you're busy, busy. Tell us where you are. I'm in Mallorca at the minute. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's nice and sunny, but I, I believe it's warm at home, so I don't think it'll be anybody be too jealous. <laughs> no, it is lovely here and shaping up lovely for the next week to 10 days. Yeah. But anyway, you're out there, of course, because it's all to do with uh, uh, the training and experiencing the guaranteed heat and conditions for the Games. That's it. Yeah, well, I suppose we have been getting ready for the conditions since February, but um, we have a training camp here um, in Mallorca. The high-performance Irish team is based in Mallorca, I suppose, solely on the fact that we don't have a velodrome in Ireland, So, mm. which is one of our events. So we need to train on a velodrome, so Mallorca it is. Um, we'll be home on Saturday. We've been here for the last two weeks, so training is going good. And, yeah think the team is in a, in a good place so we're really looking forward to it. Great, it's shocking that we don't have that velodrome isn't it? It's been talked about for years. Oh I know, yeah. <laughs> it's like being a swimmer with no swimming pool oh. and it really isn't it. <laughs> oh in the so. name of God almighty yeah. you know it is shocking that here we are in 2021 on the verge of another Olympic Games and we're still bloody well talking about it and will you see we're going to have success and then there'll be a big you know outcry oh let's get it done they should just go and do it from here on that's what I say again get it done anyway get it done yeah uh, absolutely it is what it is and you're out there what mm-hmm. is a typical day you know just take us through how much time do you put in and what do you do in a day Mm, at home or here? Oh no, when you're there, Jeez, yeah, when you're there, when I'm here, yeah, okay. out there, yeah, yeah, it's pretty full on. So we're doing, um, I suppose, track and road um, for the endurance bike. So it's a lot of double days. Um, a couple of hours in the morning, I come back, eat, rest, recover, back on the bike, uh, an hour to the velodrome, and then you have a training session on the track, ride home, eat and sleep. So <laughs> it's not very glamorous, but. Um, <laughs> It's really that that's what it is. Yeah, and, and train repeat. So yeah, I wanted you to tell people that because they're all saying that lucky woman out in Mallorca enjoying herself. Oh, no. There's no such <laughs> thing, folks. This is blood, sweat, and tears getting ready for uh, the games. Look, come back to that point. You remember being here with me, and you were saying, "Oh, I don't know, Jerry. Will we? Will we? Will we go to Tokyo? What? Why are you back? Why did you go again?" Oh, um. Do you know, I think, I suppose I was in a very, I suppose, a privileged position that, that I could be on the tandem. And we, I suppose we medaled at the World Championships, which enabled me to be a funded athlete through Sport Ireland. Mm. I had two young kids. I am a member of Garda Chiacana, but shift work isn't great to have two young children. So I suppose riding the bike full time, and having my rages by Sport Ireland, it was a win-win for me and being at home with the children. Yes. So that's really, that was my main, I suppose, as a mother, a driving force for me to do that. And at the same time, like, I love my sport. And I was able to kind of do the two in one. And then I'm lucky that I was afforded that time off from the guards and I can go back to it. So I'm very lucky. Yeah, no, circumstances. Obviously, it's all come together to facilitate this happening and it had to for for it to happen uh, for for you. Um, The games, of course, are delayed a year. Did that throw a spanner in the works? I'm sure it did as well. It did. Like, I can't believe it's it's, it's five years since Rio and I was never really going past Rio and five years on, I'm here. Um, But... It did and it didn't. Um, I think we really, as a, as a pairing, benefited from an extra year. Katie actually got locked down in Dundalk for, for four and a half months. <laughs> she wasn't able to go home, so she um, trained with me for and lived with me and the kids for for four nearly five months. And she just has oh gains she has made since then has been huge. And we're just, I think as a pairing in a completely different place, physically, mentally, everything. So um, we benefited as athletes, but I understand the pandemic. It's a horrible disease and we're living with it every day. But as, a, as, an, as athletes, the extra year has done us the world of good. Isn't that ironic that in a way uh, COVID meant she, you had to adopt her? She became part of the, uh, of the, uh, of the house there, which I, I knew this actually. I knew that this had happened and, and, and there was a benefit, a big benefit to be had with that closeness and her, her remaining here. Look, on the COVID thing as a, an elite athlete, the testing, tell us about that. Is there regular testing? What's going on there? Well, we're, we're just, well, luckily I'm double vaccinated at this stage, um, all the athletes are yeah 
but we get to, like before travel, before, you know, we get tested and then we get tested here before we go home. And then, yeah, we're constantly being tested, I suppose, before we travel and come back from travel because you have to, you have to take care of everybody else around you, you know, when you come home. So, you know, we're just staying in our own bubble. We're in our own bubble here. Our team is together all the time and we don't go outside that bubble. So we're very much a, a family unit at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The important that everybody got the vax and, and have it before uh, the games themselves. So what's the drill when you come home now is, Katie George, are, are you based in the UK? You're based in Ireland. What happens on the run into the games now? No, Katie has been in Ireland since what month? I think she's been here since March. Right. So she has she's family in Finsbury, so she's been she's been based there. And I go home obviously and she comes up. She comes up in the bus and we train around the dock <laughs> and we have done it for the last couple of months and then we have access to the Institute of Sport. So yeah, it's the same. We're only home I think for nine or ten days. Yeah. maybe a bit longer. And then we go to Portugal for a holding camp. There's a track there and then for that's for I think another nine or ten days and then from there we go to Masuda. And then from Masuda, we go into the village. So, okay. yeah, very exciting. A lot of travelling, but yeah. I can't believe it's so close, I yeah. suppose, at this stage, you know. It's Each day is ticking away. Yeah, it's going to fly around now. It really mm-hmm. is, because the game starts, isn't it, late August into early September, uh, the Paralympics? It is for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's late August, yeah. Mm. Hard being away from home now from the kids, I have to say, Jerry. That's very difficult for me I thought maybe when they were older I think when I did decide to go to Tokyo I think oh, the kids would be older you know they'd be fine oh I think they need you more <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah I've been away now for nearly three weeks and then when I come home I'm away for five so oh it's hard that's that's I suppose if COVID wasn't here, they could have come for a week or two, you know, when I'm here but mm. COVID put a stop to that but um, yeah. anyway hopefully hopefully they'll be proud if we do well. Yeah. Ah, of course they will. But it's not easy. That's the other aspect of it as well. You know, you have children and of course they they miss you. You miss them as well. And there's a huge sacrifice to be made there. But as you always told me, you have a wonderful backup network back home. Oh, I have. Yeah, well, like the dad is there. So, yeah. you know, they're they're over the moon and yes. my mum is great and their grandparents are, are amazing. Like, I'd, I'd be lost without that support. Like, nobody can do it on their own. You know, so mm. <laughs> that's not possible. So, like, I I need every single one of those people to help me. You know, yes. so I'm, yes. I'm I'm very lucky. You know, um, yeah. So thanks to all of them. <laughs> yeah, and, and and on a personal basis, I have to congratulate you as well because you've been knocking on the door and different events over the years. And last year, you did it. You took a uh, centre stage on the podium. I know, yeah, it's on the time trial. I've been trying to get that for years. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I wouldn't mind, that's my favourite event. I, I love a time trial. Yes. Um, I suppose it just suits, suits me, um, my physiology. I love it. So I just couldn't get it. I was second so many times. And I just thought, I am not giving up. I am not. <laughs> I'm going to go again. And I think the benefit I got with the training with Katie for the four and a half months, I was in great shape last summer. And I said, I'm going for it now. So... Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 the course suited me and I got it so I'm happy now oh. <laughs> I'll never get it again it's done oh, it's done listen <laughs> yes you've done it you've done it of course and we're delighted for you when that happened and there was a beautiful article I have to say uh, about that and more in the Times at the time and I really enjoyed reading it and I, I do have to mention you, you lost your dad Pat in tragic circumstances back in uh, September 2017 you think of him I'm sure every day you're out there on that bike oh absolutely and that's probably another reason that I'm here because it was if I don't continue in my you know in my sport oh I just don't really want to fall apart <laughs> so I was like I'll keep going now as long as I can and just uh, maybe some would say you're wrong because you're pushing it out but maybe that's just what I had to do yes yes of course so. of course it's mm. a way of uh, coping that coping. Uh, that has helped you uh, immensely and, and it's mm-hmm. whatever suits the the individual but look at uh, I know he's always on your shoulder wherever you go remind me again about uh, what you'll be going for in Tokyo what events we have four events. So our first event actually isn't a targeted event for us. It's a one kilometre uh, time trial in the velodrome, so it's four laps. That wouldn't be our targeted event. But it's great that we get to kind of settle the nerves and, you know, get a run done yes. before our event, which will be two, two or three days after that, and that's a 3K pursuit. So we'd be targeting that in the velodrome, 
and then after that is the road. We have time trial, a 33 kilometres time trial, and then we have, I think, a 96 kilometre road race. So it's four events, but three of them would be ones that we hope to hope to do well in, hopefully. Yes, yes. So look, at there's plenty to shoot out there, but what you're saying to me, the indoor ones, the outdoor ones are the ones we've got to watch you for. Yeah, but I think, you know, we, we are the, the three kilometre in the velodrome inside the pursuit, as well. Yeah. I think if, if we get a good day, if... If all our ducks are in a row, it might, it might go well, you know. Yes, yes. Hopefully, yes. hopefully, but yeah, that would be one that we would be targeting as well as the road because anything can happen in the road, you know, anything. Mm, mm. It really is a road race, it's like a lottery, so yeah. you wouldn't, you know, we're not, we weren't going to put all our eggs in that basket yes. either. So yes, we yes. target the three and see what happens. Oh, listen, you're uh, you're being talked about in the medal sphere again. I'm not putting any pressure on you at all, but you know <laughs> I don't yourself. Feel pressure, actually, that's the funny thing, Jerry. I don't actually feel pressure. Never. So no, I know. Mm. I don't. I don't feel it from from outside. Or yes. I just maybe I just think people are wishing us well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like, you know, and and mm. that's how I. Mm. Like, you can only do what you can do. You can, you can. What about the whole aspect of uh, nobody attending? You know, it's going to be seen with the uh, Olympics themselves and then the Paralympic Games. Does, it, does that does that enter your mind at all either? Or is it, do you just get on with what you do? No, I just get on with what I do. I'd love if my family could be there. Yeah. So that's, that's I'd love if they were there. But other than that, look, the crowds, obviously, it'd be great in the road race and you can yes. kind of cheer you on. And if you're really... You know, if you're really, really struggling, you find it, you hear a cheer from the crowd, it might get you, you know, to to the next corner and that. But I think, no, I think that the last year, two years have been really strange and we're nearly used to it at this stage. Mm. Not used to people. Mm. You know, it's nearly when I see a crowd, I'm going, Mm. Jesus, what do we do here? So it's, we've just been so focused on ourselves and staying in our own lane and concentrating on each other. And I always have Katie on the bike. She always has me, so we're never alone. Yeah, but, um, yes. We're just yes. focused, you know, and yeah. I love the crowds there, obviously, for the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's not going to put me off that they're not there. Yeah, and just for listeners, like uh, uh, Eve is the sighted pilot for blind cyclist Katie George Dunleavy, just in case you were uh, wondering what we were uh, on about this last while, but I'm sure you've grasped that at this stage. Anyway, uh, I want to say you've, you've certainly coined the phrase today, Pressures for knee pressures. Let me say this again. Pressures for Eve McChrystal's bike tires, not for Eve herself. <laughs> so remember that it doesn't affect her at all. Anyway, you should have been taking penalties at the weekend. We won't go there. Oh, I anyway, know, but no, we, we won't go, go there. there. We won't go no, there no. at all. <laughs> anyway, listen, you're a star to take the phone call. You know how much, so we much, much we love you. Yeah, you know how much yeah. we love you, and yeah. we are all rooting for you. And we wish you and Katie George all the very best over the coming weeks and into the games and please God we'll be talking when the, that podium stand has oh. to be made by both of you again. <laughs> Thanks a million Jerry. Thanks very much. Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye Eve. Bye. That's the lovely Eve McChrystal there, Paralympian and again we wish them all the very best. Gold and silver in Rio in 2016. Can they medal again? Oh they're a great pair. They really are. Late lunch LMFM Radio. Stevie Wonder, superstition on your late lunch this midweek Wednesday afternoon. Cracking tune, that, isn't it? Talking about great music, just reminding you our Saturday set series of Facebook gigs continues to bring amazing music talent to you every weekend on our Facebook page. And this weekend, we have the brilliant Mead folk singer Jerry Tully. Yes, Jerry has worked with some of Ireland's top folk acts like the Wolf Tones and Finbar Fury. And he's a superb songwriter in his own right. And this Saturday, he'll bring you a selection of songs from his vast repertoire of folk music. That's Saturday Sets with Jerry Tully live this Saturday from 9 o'clock on the LMFM Facebook page. It's going great. There's only two left. This is the second last one. Check it out this Saturday. Now, back to some of your comments. Uh, We were talking yesterday about vaccination and, oh my word... Uh, what an amount of comment we got. Some more here for you today. Jerry. why does our government want to vaccinate young people who can fight this virus and don't get sick? If the elderly and HSE staff are vaccinated, it shouldn't matter. Makes no sense. It's an experimental vaccine. Uh-uh. Don't think so. No other vaccine has been rolled out this quickly. They normally take years to perfect them. That is true. But you know, I want to explain this to you again. The reason that was was because there was, wasn't was really an urgency. Research was not funded. Uh, the world 
didn't close down. But this thing was completely different. They've thrown billions at it. They've put the best scientific minds of the world onto it as well. And that's why it's happened. It's been tested ad infinitum. And look at the millions upon millions who've got it already. And it's slowed this and broke the link to this vaccine. It really has. I thank you for your comment. Jerry. Uh, I was in Knock last week. And in John Byrne's shop, I witnessed a young priest being rather rudely asked to leave the shop as he had no mask on. But he did have a badge to say, uh, and it was stamped by a doctor, that he was exempt from wearing a mask. I was shocked at the rudeness of the uh, shop assistant, says a listener. Jerry, I'm a believer in the vaccine plus the so-called COVID passport. Previously, if someone wanted to drive, it's their choice. They needed a driver's license. If someone wants to travel abroad, again their choice. They need a passport. Now, if we want to go abroad, again our own choice. We need a vaccine, a PCR, a COVID test, or a COVID passport. No one is being forced, says a listener. Hi, Jerry. I'm fully vaccinated because I think this will protect others. And uh, let me read that again. Uh, I'm fully vaccinated because I think it will protect others that can't have the vaccine for medical reasons, etc. What I very find very strange are families of people who've nearly died of COVID-19 and have long-lasting effects still not getting the vaccine. And I was listening to your caller yesterday who doesn't want to be vaccinated and she also said she wasn't taking any of the precautions against catching or spreading the virus. It's not fair on vulnerable people, says Valerie Andrade. Thank you indeed for your comments. If you've anything to say, keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Louise, it's back. It's back, Louise. Do you know what I'm going to tell you is back? No, I'm afraid to ask. Dip in the nip. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Dip in the nip is back this year. It was so virtual w- last year, wasn't uh, it? They tried to do a few things all right, but they're they're bringing the actual event back and it's on the 5th of September this year and it would be their 10th year, right? They missed last year, but it'd be year 10, it'd be a special celebration. And are but you they, going to be the... Well, well, they've been in touch with me. Almighty and, uh, again? <laughs> I, I'll be wearing a mask. <laughs> As I always Is that all did. you're going to wear? I, I always wore the mask <laughs> over my eyes, so it'd be slipping down now over my face and nose. But sure, you have to do these things. Anyway, numbers are limited this year, naturally, because of the... Even though it's out in the open and in the wilds and along the beach and that, numbers are limited this year. And if you'd like to register for Dip in the Nip and be part of the 10th year of celebrations, some have done it from year one, you check it out. You can check it out now on necret.ie. That's N-E-C-R-E-T dot I-E. Necret.ie forward slash dip in the nip to register and you need to register fast because places are limited and we wish them well and we'll be talking more about the dip in the nip year 10 well before the 5th of September. Louise, you covered many council meetings in your day. I did. Did you ever get the expenses the councillors got? <laughs> Not by a long shot, no. Not by a long shot, baby. Did you see crime uh, prime time last night? No, but I was reading I was about it. I say crime call. It could have been possibly <laughs> on crime call as well. Did you see it? I was reading about it. I didn't actually see it. I saw it. I don't want to say any more. I, I, I'd only, I'd, I'd probably only get myself into trouble to be honest with you. Shameful. Does, no, does nobody need receipts? Shameful, shameful, shameful. The receipts should be vouched always. It should be always vouched receipts. Mm. No one vouched expensive. That's just open to abuse. It must be vouched. But I have to say, a number of councillors were outed around the country and it brings shame. It brings shame. Real shame. With people who are struggling to exist and people claiming expenses on the double. It's horrendous. And, you know, councils have a lot to uh, answer for as well in the processing of them and the questioning of expenses as well. But it didn't make good viewing, is all I have to say. It really, really didn't. Late lunch, LMFM radio. And what I say is, it needs to be Will there be a sequel? I'd say if they start (laughs) dipping more, (laughs) there'll be a movie and there'll be version, there'll be number one, two, three and four like Spider-Man or Superman and those type of things. There certainly will. Anyway, coming up next on Late Lunch, a lovely story about a young boy with dyslexia and uh, a pretty unique way his mam has worked with him to help him and he's doing great. Stay with us. Causey fam. Oh, Causey, the Halloween experience. Myself and Louise were there. Christmas time. Oh, it's the most wonderful, wonderful place. And uh, the Marthas are the people who uh, run a fantastic business there. And the sisters are joining me now. Deirdre from Causey is on the line. And Sister Della, welcome to the show, ladies. 
Hello, thank you. You're very welcome back to Late Lunch, Deirdre. And Della, nice to talk to you for the first time. Della, I'll begin with yourself. Tell us about your boy, Cormac uh, Dignan, uh, and his dyslexia. When was dyslexia diagnosed? What age? Or did you know there was something up early on? We noticed very early on. Um, he just was learning differently than his peers and with much more difficulty with the academic piece, both with numbers and with literacy. So he would also have dyscalculia. Um, but like in senior infants, he just hated school. Like it was, he objected every morning going to school. Um, like I'm an occupational therapist with children, so I would have a fair idea of difficulties in children. Yeah. But he, like, I met with his teacher, and she said, "Has he like disorganised? Because like his shoes will be in one place, his pencil case in another." And she was asking me, "Did he have like a dyspraxic type presentation?" I said, "Absolutely not. He's the most organised of all the four children." It was just that he was in such a bad place at school and the feeling was so, under such pressure in the school space just with the learning being so difficult that he was just kind of in shutdown. That as soon as he entered that space, he felt negative. Yes. You know, it was just negative. And did you get him, him, did you get him diagnosed then? Did you go and have a, a, a you know, well, the no, way... You have to be seven to get a diagnosis. I see, so I see. have to wait until he was yes. seven to okay. But you suspected, did you suspect dyslexia? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And our father, Dada, him, he never learned to read or write. So, and several of the nieces and nephews would all have dyslexia. So okay. it, it kind of goes in families. And he was like, my older daughter would have had some difficulties. Yeah. But she overcame them much more easily than Cormac. Yes. Um, so it was, it was really tough. Now it was tough. Like I remember one day he was trying to do his homework and he put his head down on the kitchen table and he started to cry. And I said, what's on? It was about a week after his diagnosis. And we had told him he had dyslexia. And he just put his head down and started to cry. And he said, I hate dyslexia. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like your heart would bleed oh, for him. Yes. But it was the only time that he really referred to it. But it, before that, he thought he was stupid, that it was just, you know, he was different than everyone else. But with the label of the, the diagnosis, he was able to put a word on it. He was able to, you know, keep it separate. That he hated dyslexia, but he didn't hate himself anymore, mm. which was really, really helpful. And, and you know, can I say to you, thank God you picked it up through your expertise and then diagnosed at seven. You know this, I don't have to tell you. There are people who go through school. They go into secondary school. They go into university before oh, this is picked up. And how yeah. they do it, Della, I don't know. I know. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it's a tough road. Yeah. I suppose he was severe dyslexia, so it was very apparent. Like two of my nieces would have been diagnosed with dyslexia in university in London. Um, but yeah, it's not easy, but it is possible to overcome a lot. Yes, of yes. And now, he has strength that, you know, other children won't have. Yes. Now, come on to this, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yeah. and Roll Dal, because I'm intrigued by this. Tell us this yeah. wee story. Yeah. So... Initially, it was, he was only interested in farming. Like, everything farming was interesting. Anything non-farming was not really in his periphery at all. So we started with the farmer's journal. We bought the farmer's journal. We just left it lying around the house. And if he saw something, you know, if I saw him looking at it, I'd read the title of, you know, the child with five lambs or whatever the picture yes. was. And then, you know, after a few weeks of that, he brought Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to me. He was in first class. And some of his friends must have been reading it or something. Like, he couldn't read that at this stage. Like, he had pretty much no no sight vocabulary at all. Um, never mind read Chocolate and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But anyway, he brought it to me and he said he wanted to read it. And I was like, well, I nearly dropped out of my stand on first. But then I thought, Grant, we'll read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory if that's your choice. Um, so I know from my work that a child, like the more relaxed the child is, the child has to be successful at doing something in order for brain development to happen. And the more relaxed they are, and if they're a bit an adult that they kind of can relax and be comfortable with, then their brain is going to be much more accessible to yes. them. So we started off in the bed in the morning time when he was fully alert. He jumped into the bed beside me and he would read, you know, the words on the first line that he recognised he had to read and I would do all the other words. Then, you know, after a few days of that, we started with the, the words in the first sentence, then sounding out the first sentence and like and then, you know, the first page of the chapter. Um, and then I'd read the chapter for him. And over time, like it took us months and sometimes it felt like we were ploughing rather than reading. Yes. 
but he, we, he was getting enough of the information. He was still motivated to read it and he was really enjoying the story. Um, and after a few weeks, he said, I'm bringing my book to school with me so that I can read at school. And I thought, the teacher will think we're crazy that we're reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when he can't read anything, really. But he was delighted with himself going off with this book to school that was the same as all his peers. And he knew the story as far as he had gotten. I don't think he read any at school, but I think he did show it to some of the children. Yes. Yes, but that was a real confidence booster. Oh, amazing. And and, and the foundations, may I say, of where he's gone since, because he's scoring well now, isn't he, in his schoolwork? Yeah, yeah, like for a child who, you know, in first class scored at, you know, below the 10th percentile in the, you know, in the dyslexic piece, he, like, on his reading scores at school now are in average ranges, which is phenomenal. Like, I wouldn't say he's, like, an avid reader yet like he won't pick up a book and read it himself but he always enjoys reading with somebody else which yes. is brilliant and he like he reads from with meaning like he does understand what he's reading yes yes and are you saying to listeners today that this example is a way maybe a way for people you know to work with their children it's time Absolutely. to it's time consuming yeah. it takes time and oh, must it be it takes effort it yes. takes lots yes. of effort yes but it's so worthwhile it is Great. so worthwhile and the thing what i would say to parents is is that from a brain development point of view, from a brain usage point of view, if we're motivated by it, our brain will be much more active and able for it. So if you can motivate your child, get something that they're interested in. And that's why we started with the Farmer's Journal. And we led then, when he chose Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we took his lead. And I think that's so important. But also... You know, doing it with me was much easier for him than doing it with some other person because, like, from a brain development point of view, if we do it with somebody, and a really important adult, we can uh, access the limbic brain, which is, you know, kind of, whereas if it's with a stranger, yeah. we, we'll be much more likely to go into a kind of primitive yes. brain or, or opt out. Mm. So it's easier for a child if it's with an important adult. Like yes, that. yes. And it's important to say if you have worries or concerns, have them checked out, have the Absolutely. assessment done when they reach Absolutely. seven years of age. And there are lots yeah. of supports through education going forward when you oh, do okay. that. Like his teachers have been amazing. Yes, yes. It's, it's come on a long, long way, Della. It really has. Absolutely. I know this. And I would say, like, even when I did get the diagnosis, my stomach fell a little because I was like, oh, like, it's true. Like, I was only suspecting it from then until then. And a bit of me did kind of go, oh. But you know what? Don't be afraid of it. No. Nope. Just use it as a powerful tool. Yes. Because yes. it gave great answers to us. Yes. It gave great answers to him. Oh. And I know, like, a lot of people will have to do the assessment privately. Yeah. But if you have any means at all, uh, like, say it for us, uh, for us anyway. Yes. It was helpful. Get it done. Now, let's bring in the sister. She's waiting patiently by. She's listening carefully. Deirdre Marta, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm really good. Now, in in a way, well, it is the genesis of something that's happening at Causey Farm because uh, we have to say that the Cormac's older sister, Ellen, came up with an idea which you've taken on board. We did indeed. And as you know, anyone that's been to Causey or heard about us, we're always trying to think of new ideas, make up new stuff. And Ellen came up with the wonderful idea of taking um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or and the Roald Dahl books and making some of the scenes out of all of the books. And we have a trail around our, we have a willow woods here. And we have a trail around the woods and around every corner, there's another scene from one of the Roald Dahl books. And uh, Simon, um, who works with us, Simon McQuaid, is an amazing artist. And he put all these scenes together. They are fantastic. And then we have a train, would you believe it? And you can go around through the through the woods on this little train and hear snippets from the stories or hear a little bit about the stories. And it's all animated and narrated. It's, it's, it's stunning. And it's part of our ice cream adventure, which is running at the moment. Yeah, I'm hearing very good word about it, let me say. Uh, yeah, it's yes, lovely. Yes, the bongos are beating out there saying, Causey have done it again with well, their... <laughs> ice cream adventure experience but isn't this lovely like and i have to say Amazing. he's brilliant simon mcquade and really his touch there is just wonderful isn't it to the whole experience uh, superb it, he it, he transforms things with yes. magic i don't know how he does it and like we've so we've that part but we also have put 
swan boats on the pond. We have lots of characters. And Simon himself does, is one of the characters some of the time. We have um, different, you know, games. And of course, you will get a scoop of ice cream. I forgot that. Oh, that's the nice very part. <laughs> important. It just tops the day all off. Indeed, and, and, yeah. and Deirdre, <laughs> how are you managing with the, with the, with the numbers and that? What's the, the story oh, there? So you have to book in if you go to cosy.ie and click on an ice cream adventure. You do have to book in so that we can start, you know, make sure yeah. that we don't have too many people at a time. It is a one-way trail, though. So yes. it's a trail all the way around the farm and you meet the people or the, the activities, the games, the animals along the way. And you don't bump into other people that are coming. So you, you're, yes. you know, it's quite staggered and it's quite spread out. So there's, there's, there's lots of room for everybody. And we only take so much, any people every 15 minutes. That's really good to hear. Hey, you're going to need plenty of ice cream this coming week to 10 days with it's the forecast. It's time, yes, indeed. Yes, yes you it's will indeed. But yeah. there you are. You've done it again. As I said, Halloween, Christmas, this now. And it's open, folks, at the moment. Causey, C-A-U-S-E-Y dot I-E. The booking information is all there. Uh, give them a shout. And there are times and slots available over the coming weeks. It's on every day except Tuesday. Is that right? That's right. That's right, indeed. Thank you, Jerry. Yes, every that. day but Tuesday it's on. Oh, I know me ice cream. When you mention ice cream, <laughs> the owl heart melts here. I'd, it certainly does. Anyway, it's a lovely add-on to Cormac uh, Dignan's story and what your sister there, Della, has been telling us a few moments ago. You're great yeah. people. Della, thank you for uh, uh, bringing thank us you. in on your personal story today. And Deirdre, good luck to Causey and all concerned. Thank you both for joining me. And can I just say to any parents of children with dyslexia, don't give up. They yep. can overcome it. Absolutely. Wonderful message to finish well today. Well done, Della. Thank, Thank you, ladies. You. Thank bye you. Bye. Take bye care bye. of yourselves. Bye-bye. That's the Martha sisters there. And I say that again. I'm saying it from personal experience. If you have a child and they're struggling in any way, check check out. You know what I mean? Or they're not fond of school or they're struggling. You've got to, you know, get in there and find out. Get to the nub of this. You know, get to, don't leave it be. And uh, seven years of age, you can have that assessment done and it opens up a whole new world. And I have to tell you this, people who live with dyslexia, they are the most talented people you'll ever meet. They're so talented in their lives. They're great at sport. They have sharp minds. They can do anything. They're wonderful with their hands at skill etc they really are they seem to have another talent but you can work through this and get through life immensely uh, more comfortably with a diagnosis I say that again James has been on to say try to call you as I'm sick of Jerry promoting and asking people did they get it make sure he watches the link above and come back to me tomorrow and give us his view after watching it James I'm not watching it James because I'll tell you why I, I just tell people that I got vaccinated myself I believe in vaccines I have all my life for my I was vaccinated as I grew up by my parents and my children where my grandchildren are now so we believe in vaccines and the good that they do and the protection that they give us and what I say is that this, you know, conspiracy theories, the world has been hit by this and we need to deal with it. We just need to deal with it. And vaccines are the way out of it. You can see it with the case numbers and, and case numbers may be there, but the deaths are not happening now uh, as they were at the start of this. And that's because of the vaccines. And I particularly believe in it. And if you if you if you want to believe in that, James, good luck to you. Away you go. It, it, it's your own business if you do that. I'm not saying that's that's your decision. But uh, I believe vaccines are, are the way forward out of this and the right way. And I'm not into conspiracy theories at all. Jerry, the person who just texts you that young people don't need the vaccine is a disgrace. Vaccines are there to protect them as much as everybody else. Young people are equally deserving of the vaccine. I agree with you. Of course they are. Councillor Noel French called in to say he'd like to clarify that the vast majority of councillors don't claim double expenses. I'm sure that is the case, Noel. However, he says the system is wrong. Uh, payment to councillors is so low. I see they're getting a rise in today's papers, actually. Uh, some use the expenses and overnights as a way to earn enough to live on, says Noel. He says in nearly eight years, he himself has only attended three conferences and never claimed expenses or overnights. And he actually didn't know until he watched the programme last evening that you don't need receipts for overnights. That has to end, I have to say, Noel. That is just not kosher at all, to be honest with you. Uh, thank you for the message, Noel. Uh, delighted to relay it uh, today. Uh, and uh, another one there from Kevin saying, Jerry, the people who process those false claims should be held accountable. You see, the problem is, I was watching, they were claiming off two different bodies. You know, they may have been on council and they're on these uh, education boards and different things, so it would be hard, perhaps, you know, to bring it all together and do that. But I hear what you're saying, Kevin. Thanks indeed for the message. Now, 
My artist of the week, Westlife. I told you yesterday they became a four-piece. Brian McFadden decided to feck off and do his own thing and look after his family, etc. in early 2004. But the other four boys, they powered on recording, performing, touring and setting new records to beat the band. By the end of the year, listen to this, that was 2004, they'd sold more than 30 million albums and were the biggest live act around at the time. Oh, by God, they were in demand. They then signed a five-record deal with Sony in 2006. And again in 2006, their seventh album, the Love Album was called, yielded a seventh number one from them there. And the single, The Rose, uh, went to number one itself for a 14th time. The 14th number one. You only realise when you look at this stuff and think about it, how huge Westlife were. Yet they were the business, top of the music industry for a decade uh, or more. And they celebrated actually that decade, that 10 year. Were you at it here in Ireland, in Croke Park, on the 1st of June 2008? It was jammers. That was their 10 year celebration. And uh, just shortly after that, actually, Louis Walsh, there was Louis Walsh and Simon Cowell involved as well. Louis announced that the group were taking a one year hiatus and that they would return uh, nearly to the day a year later, which they did. Now, I'll pick up the story from there tomorrow. But for today, I'm going back to 2001 and the big, big love ballad from Westlife. of the crowd so yeah big number one for Westlife back in 2001 my artist of the week nice to hear from you Lily delighted you're enjoying the song yes a blast from the past there from Westlife for sure and we'll have more about the boys and another song on late lunch around about this time tomorrow um, James has been back on to me he says he's not against vaccines but he'd like to me to look at the YouTube thing oh James I'll be looking at a tube this evening but there could be gold or black stuff in it with a white head you know what I'm talking about anyway uh, the John's been on to say he got his job. Well done to you, John. Sent me a picture of his certificate. Late lunch, LMFM radio. My lovely horse. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm not talking about Father Ted. I'm talking about the charity They Rescue Horses. And they have a lovely story about a 10-year-old. There's a real backstory uh, to this animal. And we're going to hear about it from Martina Kenny next. Martina Kenny from the My Lovely Horse charity is on the line. Hello, Martina. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. You have a special... Is it a guy or a girl? Girl. Celeste, Yes. Yeah, girl. A special girl that you've rescued. Tell us this wonderful backstory. Um, well, it was four, just going on four years ago. Um, and um, I guess her story is just coming back out into news again. But um, four years ago, we were called on um, down to Cork on a serious welfare issue with horses that were basically locked up and starving. And um, we got there with Department of Agriculture and um, the Pound and um, that served Cork. And um, there we found, oh, it was really, really horrible. We found uh, some of the horses were were locked in stables so long. There was like somebody coming along, a farmer coming along and basically just thrown in the odd bit of hay here and there. Mm. Um, I don't know how really they survived. But um, they were skin and bone and um, one foal had actually been born in the stable and then in there for the next good few months, like I'd say about seven or eight months, never out and the basically the poo had just grown and grown and grown and it was in a barn, like an American barn type of thing. So within the, under, you know, the shelter of the roof was there, but then the, the stable was just full of poo right up to the, the door of the yes, stable. Yes. So we had to, we had to get a mini digger to pull out the doors um, to dig in, to try to get the horses out. Uh, some of them were, were in the same situation. And one of them, we took four, we took five, sorry, that day. And one, had to be put to sleep. Um, she was very bad. Um, the other four were really, really bad as well, and they were supposed to be put to sleep. But also, but we asked, could we take those? Um, the wor- we took basically asked, could we take the worst five? Um, the others went to um, the pound through um, went to the pound and then went to a rescue. Um, but we decided that 
we would really like to try uh, with the worst five because they they had no chance. Um, they 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 were going to be put to sleep on the spot. Okay, and only one was in the end, and then one ended up being Celeste, a very expensive horse. So you you the the others uh, came back and prospered and thrived. Yeah, amazingly, like unbelievably. Um, we have still one at the farm. He just has uh, hoof and leg issues, but he's really old. Uh, we call him Grandpa John. Also, he's got a Witherby chip in him, which will be um, a very expensive horse at one point and raced at one point as well. Um, but the one chip that we did find, and we, you know, this is only a couple of weeks after, you know, um, we found, we, we, we scanned them all and then we, we put them through then to find out the, their background and, yeah. and whatever. I never expected what we found. And in um, Celeste, she was called War Celeste. She was bought for um, 125000 and um, then she was used um, as a broodmare. Um, so a lot of money was made out of her. Um, and then she um, suddenly went into some sort of, I don't know, she was in some really expensive places in, in, in the UK. And then she just went down a chain. So either she couldn't get pregnant or, I don't know, some sort of deal was done. But she ended up in Cork. She was sold at one point for only 15,000 yeah. and ended up in Cork in this place where this man had um, just basically... Mistreated her and all, yes, all those other animals. So this yeah. was a breeding mare, very valuable, obviously bred... Breeding yes, mare, yeah. yes, yeah. and bred some wonderful offspring as well. Uh, yeah. And what age is she now? A huge long line of, of yeah. amazing horses that are well known. Yeah, and and she has this link back to them, and yet she was let descend yeah. into skin and bone, standing in her own excrement for God knows yeah. how long, and starving. Yeah. Isn't it shocking to contemplate? Basically losing the will to live. Yeah, isn't yeah. it just yeah. horrendous, really? Anyway, War Celeste was the ho- the the horse's full name. Uh, what age is she now? She is um, she's twelve now. Okay, would we be on breeding years? Uh, no, but we wouldn't allow it. So that was one of the things when the the story, you know, came out, hit the news, and um, we had loads of calls and emails and messages from breeders and from studs, all saying, like one man I spoke to, um, and he was a breeder, a big breeder, and he said, uh, you know, if you were to breed or sell her now, he said. Uh, like loads of your money worries would be over if you start breeding from her, from you know the right line of, of um of a male horse with her, and I was like, no, that's not what we do. We'll never do that. Money's not everything, and that's against our ethos. That's just not what we do. We have promised all the animals in our care. You know, that's it. No more breeding. No more. You know, if they they can't be ridden anymore, if they're you know, or in any way they just don't want to anymore, they they've had a hard time as it was. They don't have to do that anymore. You know, it's their time to shine in their own way, yes. and that's the way she does now. I admire you. She loves riding and stuff now. Mm. She's brilliant. Mm. You know? mm. Mm. Look, at I I admire your stance. You could have taken the queen shilling, and you know, yeah. because I know it's not easy. My lovely yeah. horse, you're always yeah. on the lookout for support. You're yeah. raising money. You're uh, very people are very kind to you with donations, etc. You yeah. could have ended those worries for quite a period of time, oh, but God, no yeah. way. No, mm-hmm. not a chance. And look, we've had many horses that have come into our care that have been, you know, we didn't know, but then suddenly a really expensive horse and people have offered big money and it's like, no, you just don't get it where it comes from. You know, the end of our name says rescue. And in that name, we have made a promise to those animals and that's the end of it. So no amount of money they could have offered us, 5 million euros, and like as much as what we could do with that, no. And I know people will think, oh, they're crazy. But that's just not the way it is. You wouldn't sell your child, you know. Ah, <laughs> listen. Your, yeah, your kindness yeah. is just oozing yeah. this afternoon. Anyway, look, it's a grand wee story. And you've rescued uh, this lovely creature, Celeste, War Celeste, yeah. and she's living a happy, happy life now. And well done to you for resisting Thank all so the approaches that have been made to you. And look, if people want to check you out and give you a little support, my lovely horse rescue, they'll find you there, yeah? Yeah, dot com, um, and we'd love like donations are, are what keep us going, and it's yeah. the public that keep us going. Yeah. So thank you to the public. Absolutely, my lovely dot com. Check it out. They're there. The wonderful people. They're uh, close to us here in the northeast. Lovely to talk to you, Martina. Uh, bye.
Bye. Take care of yourself. That's Martina Kenny there. Lovely story, isn't it? What well, there you are, the poor creature. And the pedigree she had. But it's a good news story to finish today. All's well that ends well. Well, it ends for today, but it's back tomorrow. Yes, late lunch. Uh, we begin with a story. It'll be interesting, I promise you. How a knowledge of self-defence saved a local taxi driver. We have the story tomorrow. Bye-bye AA Roadwatch. Connor Faulkner reflects. John Connolly, the don of crime fiction, is with us. And we'll have more of Burke's banter for you tomorrow on the show. And more besides, of course. Thank you so much for your company today. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely Wednesday evening. See you Thursday, 1.30. It's a date. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.